Lord, I just uh, thank you for our brother. Thank you, Lord, for um, bringing him here with us. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us through him. Lord, you are the star here. You are um, the main role. And uh, we want to be connected to you. We want to better know you and, and grow in you. And, Lord, I just pray that you would work through Andy for those purposes. Thank you for him. Pray, Lord, that you bless him during this time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, it has uh, really been a, uh, a joy and encouragement to be here. Uh, I always, you know, the... <clears throat> I enjoy sharing and teaching, and I do a lot of it. I, I share about five or six times a week. Uh, I travel to Houston, to San Antonio, to Dallas, and then also within the prisons. And, uh, and so and then I also have seven children. And so when y'all were singing that song, which I hadn't heard before, uh, uh, Steal Away or, or Pull Away, you know, uh, this has been a great day and a half because uh, down at... Uh, Curtis and Jeannie's, they've just kind of left me to the basement, and y'all don't realize how precious 30 minutes of quietness is, you know, in, in, a, in a home setting, because uh, now my, my car is my sanctuary, you know, uh, people ask me, do you listen to tapes? Do, no, I don't, I really don't, I just, I enjoy just quietness, you know, because uh, our house is, uh, there's constant movement, you know, and, uh, and I am a very early riser, always have been. I don't require a whole lot of sleep. Um, I usually drive at night and uh, get a few hours of sleep, and I get up and help get kids to school and, and all of that. Well, uh, my wife, when we got married, was just the opposite. I mean, she was kind of a slow waker-upper, you know. And uh, as we started having children, everybody else's children, you know, took two naps a day for two hours and they slept through the night at, you know, two months old or something and, and one day with tears streaming down her eyes she looked at me and she said, you are not normal. <laughs> and then she said, our children are not normal because <laughs> they don't take naps, they never have. We've done all the parenting things you can do, you know, to... Keep, make them sleep during different times. It just never has worked. We are not a sleeping family. And so, uh, so anyway, uh, even in the mornings, I've had to confine myself to a closet and close the door because if the light comes on in the living room, somebody's going to wake up and come out the, out the door. So this has been a refreshing, pleasant, uh, encouraging time. And to meet many of you, uh, really, uh, as much as I enjoy teaching and sharing, there's, I enjoy relationships much better. I enjoy sitting across a coffee table. I enjoy uh, getting to know people, hearing people's stories. Um, years ago, I guess about 12 years ago in Houston, uh, someone, a dear friend of mine called me up, and, uh, and they had uh, a personal trainer. And they said, uh, this personal trainer is really starting to come to the Lord, and uh, would you mind meeting him for coffee? So, uh, so I drove four hours down to Houston and uh, met this guy for coffee and we have been meeting every Wednesday for now about 12 years uh, and from that just word of mouth now when I go to Houston on Wednesdays from four now about about 5:30 till about 4:30, um, I'm pretty much at a revolving coffee shop 
you know, just about every hour, hour and a half, uh, visiting with people, and uh, and that's what I, that's probably the thing I enjoy the most. Uh, um, love going into the prisons, and as I said yesterday, uh, I'm not a <coughs> prison minister um, because uh, really those are I consider them just my friends. They're men that I walk with. Uh, they share just as much with me as I share with them. Um, to I could tell you a million stories, and I won't take up this time doing that, but uh, it's, it's also one of the joys of my heart, and, uh, and so I've really enjoyed being here. Um, I'm very grateful. Um, I'm very grateful to have met your pastor and just that he would give me this opportunity, and again, my life is more from place to place, and I have a great respect for pastors because they walk during the mundane times of life, and they, they bring together a people and try to lead them into the arms of Christ, and everybody's at a different place, you know, they're, they're different things, and so uh, um, I just, uh, I pray that in, in my journey, I can uh, in some way be a pastor helper and, uh, and encourage the body and, and, uh, and build them up in, in the faith. Uh, so I'm really going to share something today that, uh, to me personally, it's um, more than a message. You know, there are times when, when you share messages and, and you're aiming at something, um, but there are other things that are more than a message. It's, 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 a, it's a life experience. It's, uh, it's a part of how your heart beats. It's, it's, it's through what you, the lenses through which you see life. And, and so what I'm going to share with you are the lenses through which I look at life. When I sit with people and I hear their struggles and their sorrows and the things that they've walked through or places that they've been, this is how everything's filtered through to me. Uh, one day, uh, years and years ago, uh, a friend of mine, uh, somewhat of, uh, of a mentor, um, said to me, Andy, in order to walk through, as a believer, hard and difficult places, and, and you know, you know, you know there's, there's kind of this gospel that goes out that, you know, come to Jesus and pray and give him all your life and your life's going to be wonderful. You know, all the pieces are going to come together and there's going to be peace and joy and all of a sudden you start walking this thing out and you start, wait, where is it all, you know? Because the scripture says many of the afflictions are the righteous. You know, you're going to go through valleys. There's going to be places of sorrows. Uh, uh, when Jesus spoke in, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, all that, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are hungry, uh, um, um, you know, uh, uh, our Father who art in heaven, just all that prayer. But you know what? He ends it up with a parable. And he says, everywhere, you know, everywhere where the word goes forth, there's a wise man and a foolish man. And he says, there are several things in common about these men. They're both building a house. As we sit in this place, we're all building a house. And we're bringing in all the time the material we wish to build with. If you're sitting in front of a television all day long, you're bringing in material. You know, uh, uh, the counsel you listen to, you're bringing in material through which to build your house. But I'll tell you, there's another thing in common about these individuals. Well, another thing in common was they heard the word. They both of them heard the word. They just, one chose to use that material to build and one chose not to. But another thing in common about these individuals was the wind, the rain, and the storm. The wise man experienced the wind, rain, and the storm, and the foolish man experienced the wind, rain, and storm. 
There's going to be winds that blow into your life. There's going to be rain that comes into your life. There's going to be those times of storm and struggle and, and you just, God, help me, and, and lifting up your voice to the Lord. It's inevitable. It's, it's going to happen. It's a part of the journey. But in order to endure those places, I really have come to find you've got to be convinced of three things. First of all is his sovereignty. God is in control. We're going to look at that briefly. Second of all is his wisdom. All we see is the moment. God sees so much farther beyond that. He knows what he's doing if we'll simply trust him. And lastly, and this is the this is a lifelong journey to discover, of discovery. Because the scripture says there's no height, height, width, depth, or length to the love of God. And as much of the love of God as you experience today, there's always a deeper, more richer place to go. But it's being convinced of that in our heart. And so first of all, I want to look at the sovereignty of God. And if you will, look with me in Psalms chapter 2. And, uh, you know, I've got a... A dear friend of mine, matter of fact, we graduated from high school together, and, uh, and we both ended up in Texas, and uh, I, I, I'm from Texas, I was born in Houston, my parents were divorced at an early age, my mom and I moved to Florida, so I actually grew up in Florida, after high school, I ended up, I'm just giving you a little synopsis, I ended up moving back to Texas, and uh, God really restored my relationship with my dad, and then uh, in the midst of that, so, so, I'm a Texan who grew up in Florida, who came back to Texas, and uh, so that's kind of a, a little of who I am. But um, um, this other friend moved to Texas also, and I've known him for a lo- just forever. And I remember one time, uh, I, he lives in Dallas, so a lot of times I'll go to his house, and I'll drop my car off there, and he'll take me to the airport. And he actually used to work for the airport. And, uh, and so uh, he was taking me to the airport, and I can remember as just about as I was getting out of the car, he wanted to talk. And uh, he just began, he was going through a hard time. And financially, it was like the world had just been pulled out from under him. And I remember he, he just, his tears come down his eyes. And he said, Andy, at our church, there was a prayer breakfast. And they were bringing in like this special chef from California, it was a big church from California and, and this guy was doing this big deal and it costed $12 a piece to come to the prayer breakfast. And I remember he just cried and he said, Andy, I don't have $12. I can't even go to this prayer breakfast. And I remember telling him, and at the time I'm, he's struggling with faith and I'm trying to talk in faith and I'm saying, listen, it's gonna be all right. Don't get angry at God. Don't get mad at him. There's something God's doing. You're going to have to trust him. So my journey went on, and, and it was several years later. He still struggled. Nothing changed overnight. But a door op- opened up to him, and he went through it full speed. And now he's, he's in that particular business and company. He's, he's the second highest money earner. There's nothing that, at this point, he really has to worry about. I mean, he can do pretty much whatever he wants with his family and go wherever he wants. So anyway, he and I had met for lunch uh, just recently, and he said, uh, he said, Andy, in my travels and through my connections, he said, I've met some really interesting people and, and some high-up people, and he said, man, they're really telling me that, that you, you really have to, you know, um, prepare yourself because they just don't see how this economy can continue to go in the way it's going to go. 
and, and there's, there's trouble ahead. He just was going through this whole thing, and he said, and then I heard somebody else tell me about the five G's. Some of y'all might know the five G's. I didn't. He said, okay, I'm, this isn't in any particular order. Ground, gas, grain, guns. What's the last G? Grounds, grain, gas, guns. Grounds, gold. Thank you. So Yes, gold. That's it. That's it, gold. And I'm listening, and this is a good friend of mine, and I said, listen, I'm listening to you, but there's a G missing in there somewhere. <laughs> it's amazing how obvious something becomes when, when, when you're not really. I said, uh, you know, hey, God, don't you remember when he walked you through that, that time when, when the world had just imploded and there was nothing and, and somehow your family, y'all, y'all got through that place and you were leaning upon God and now you've got this abundance and you're trying to figure out how am I going to keep it because there's great struggles coming. As we look at this, I want you to examine and think about, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will help you, examine the words of your mouth. We talk about the sovereignty of God, the lordship of God, but we really talk as if God's not in control. As a whole, but also in our lives personally. Psalms chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And then the next verse, as you don't read yet, it says, And God frets in the heavens, and he's anxious, and, he, and he, he, he's writhing his hands, and he's saying, Oh no, I didn't know they were going to do that. All right, now we can read the next verse. It says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. He is in control. And yes, you know, Lord, we we pray for our schools. And yes, Lord, we pray for our government. Lord, that you would intervene, that you would establish truth. But we become so anxious. God, they've removed the commandments. They're this, they're that. Look what's happening in Ukraine, wars and rumors of wars. He already told you these things were going to happen. But you know what he said they are? He said they're birth pains. We're trying as hard as we can to stop the birth pains. But you know what birth pains are a sign of? Life. Life is about to be born. And a lot of times in our life personally, you know, as we listen to the sufferings of others, we try to figure out how to stop the suffering. But So many times the suffering is the the process through which life begins to be born within us and through us. There's a place in Exodus, remember when the children of Israel came to the, they'd walk three days in a wilderness with no water. God obviously didn't have that figured out. And at the last minute he was trying to, no, he knew that. They get to this bitter place and they begin to complain against God. No, oh God, we wish we were in Egypt where there are not enough graves out there. Why did you bring us out here? And all of a sudden, God, obviously, without going through the whole story, touches the water, makes it sweet, their needs are met. And then it says two verses, well, and then it says God made a covenant with them there. But then two verses later, it says they came to the pools of Elium, the 12 pools of Elium, a place of refreshment, and that's all it says. 
And isn't it interesting, God does more during the time of our suffering than he does in the time of our ease and peace. And if we look back at our lives, the greatest things and lessons we've learned have been through the tears and the struggles. And, and listen, as a parent, I want my children to be happy. I want them to, to not be touched by this world. I want them to, I'm doing all that I can. But you know what? They're going to have to cry. They're going to have to come to that place of their own of seeing that God is my refuge. He is a shield to those who trust in him. They're going to have to come through that same place, that same birth canal in order to experience and to know him. The sovereignty of God. Look with me in um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy. I don't know, uh, there was an elderly man who was more of a, maybe the last of the real Puritan revivalist preachers. Um, his name was Leonard Ravenhill. He wrote a classic book, Why Revival Tarries. Um, but uh, I, I got a chance to go hear him before he passed away. And uh, I was really looking forward to it. And, uh, and I remember going to hear him. He was like 80-something years old. And I thought, you know, this will be good, but it'll probably be about like a little 10-minute message, and he'll get down, and this, his family kind of helped him up, and he got up on the stage, he got his coat off, you know, and, and, and he sang hymns for memorization for an hour before he even started preaching. And once he started preaching, he'd get to the edge of that stage, and he'd just, you know, he right at the edge, and he just thought, somebody needs to stand there. And he would preach for another hour and a half. And then somebody came up and he got his little coat on and back down. But I remember he said this verse. And he said, um, verse 13, I charge you of chapter 6, or chapter, or 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. There we go. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. All right, I'm going to take a little tributary. Life to all things. In a crowd this big, and I, and, I, and I say this more when I'm in the prisons because there's so many different reasons why people come into this world. But I remember my grandmother was such a respected person and just a, a, a beautiful person in so many ways. She's passed away now. But uh, as I learned more about the history of her life, she had four older siblings. She was born in 1910. Four older siblings, and she was an accident child. She came about 10 years after the last one had been born. And her uh, parents, I don't always understand this, but, but they were done. They were done raising children. And they kind of got her up to about four years old, and they left her with the siblings, one of the siblings. And one went, they, one went to Texas and one went to, Col to California. She wasn't wanted. She was an accident. And I'm going to tell you, in this world, and maybe even in this place, there are people who struggle with not feeling wanted, or I'm always on the outside, or somehow I don't fit into this world, or you're here because God created you. God breathed life into you. And listen, I go into the prisons. I talk to guys who came in because their mother was a prostitute. I talk to guys, I, I can tell you every scenario of just unwanted children. 
The only reason you were conceived was because God had you in mind before the foundation of the world. He knew you. And he brought you into this world. And his eye has always been upon you. He gives life to all things. And of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, in verse 14, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I remember Leonard Ravenhill, he came from London. He came from England. That was his birthplace. And he talked about God being, some of you rehab the King James, the only potent. I had to figure out what that was. Sovereign, the ruler, the one. Now listen, we don't have an idea of how that works because we have a representative form of government. We've been so afraid of having a sovereign that we protected ourselves in certain ways. But if you read through history, a sovereign, they were like the voice of God for their area. If they wanted something you had, they took it. You didn't have much of a say-so. If they didn't like you, they killed you. You know, if they did like you, they gave you a place. They were the absolute rule. In the same way, he says God is the only sovereign. He rules even over the tragedies and sorrows of life. There's a divine, we're going to talk about this tonight, there's a divine fingerprint of redemption in the deepest sorrows and the greatest struggles. His fingerprint is there. It all serves God's, God's eternal purpose. Matter of fact, every time you see a clock and it says 1-11, you think about Ephesians 1-11, it says all things work to the counsel of his will. Not some things, not most things, all things. All right, so, so this, this only sovereign, I remember one time recently, over the last three or four years, I had gone on a mission trip. We were wanting to help start a place in Nepal for children that had been trafficked down to India. And I went with a group of people, and, and, and everybody was Christians, you know, as we went on this trip. And, uh, and so while we were there, we had the opportunity to go through the towns and visit a little bit, and we saw a lot of Buddhism and Hinduism and stuff. But it was interesting, as we sat down, everybody began to talk about it, and there was this idea kind of like, you know, everybody's walking in the light that they have, and every road leads to the same place. What? That means you have to reject this. There is one sovereign. There's one God. That's what got Jesus killed. He said, listen, I am. I and the Father are one. He's not just a good man. He's just not a prophet. Psalms chapter 2 says God has established his king in Zion. He rules, and he rules over the affairs of life, and everything is serving his eternal purpose. Look with me in um, Isaiah 45, then we'll move on to the next, next point. Isaiah 45, and look with me in verse... Nine, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth, will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing that, is, that he is making say, um, he has no hands? Think about this in our life personally. Of course, nobody would want to raise their hands, but has anybody said, 
God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? You know, it's funny, my, my girls, I've got uh, three girls, and uh, the oldest is 12, and then I have 10, and then I have two. And the two-year-old just got potty trained yesterday, so I kind of missed out on all that. But, uh, um, and it's interesting, the 12-year-old has long, straight hair. The 10-year-old has thick, kind of more wavy, not quite curly, but wavy kind of hair. And there was a season there where the 12-year-old was trying to figure out how to get the curly, wavy hair, and, the, and, the, and the, the, the 10-year-old was trying to figure out how to flatten and straighten her hair. And how many times do we argue with our maker about the way that we're made? Somebody said to me in high school, and, th- and I thought about this for the next 15 years, Andy, you got big ears. For the next 15 years, I spent my time looking in my mirror at, the e- at my ears. You know, and are they really big? How big are they? You know, why would somebody say that? It's amazing the words that we say to one another and the struggles we have. God, why are I tall? How come I can't talk well? How come I'm this or how come I'm that? You are made divinely unique. And there's a reason, there's a purpose, there's a reason why you're different than other people, why you grew up differently, why you grew up in that family. Listen, 99% of the people would not want to do what I do. I go from place to place, house to house. I love sitting with people. My mom asked me one time, I can't remember how old I was, junior high or something, Andy, what do you think you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I don't know, but I hope it involves traveling and just being with people. And, and there was no that I found thing that said that. But you know what? That's exactly what I do. And I love it. And as a young boy that was a latchkey kid, my mom worked 24 hours a day to keep food on the table. My dad was in Texas. And, uh, and so she just had to trust God and say, God, you've got to take care of him. And I was out on the streets. And it was families like y'all in here that took me into their lives. Listen, God put great people at the right place at the right time that brought me into their homes, took me on vacations with them, let me eat at their tables. This one lady in my life is forever in honor to them. The fact that I'm here right now is a lady, Mrs. Stevens. The moment I walked through a church door, she grabbed me and I felt like an ice cube. I don't know how to respond to this. And she hugged me every time I came through the door. And then she would teach the, the youth stuff and help with Sunday school. And the next thing you know, I would go to her house before I went to school and she'd cut up fruit and put a, 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 a testimony DVD or CD. I mean, no, at that, that, that time it was eight tracks. Or, cause, you know, whatever they are. Stuck it in there, you know. We watched Clark Whitten, James Robinson, uh, Dudley. You know, all these different people, their testimonies and stories. She just loved me right there. And she prays for me today. We still keep in touch. God divinely just put people in my life. And you know what? Because of that, though, it's just natural to me to go from place to place and to be with people. Are we fighting against? Are we saying, God, why? Well, the next stage is you're going to have to trust his wisdom. You're not always going to know the whys. And I'm going to look at just two verses here, and uh, I'm wrestling with which ones to pull out. But I'm going to look at James chapter 3. You know, one time, 
Now listen, my dearest, really are, my dearest friends are, are uh, men who have, are in maximum security prison. I just, uh, they're genuine friends of mine. And I wish I could walk, I wish some, listen, I'm glad I can walk out of the prison. But uh, I do wish I could spend just a week in there and just walk with them and learn from them. Because listen, they're tested in a different kind of fire than you and I are. If we don't like something, we can go home and close the door. There are, is no privacy in prison, and they walk in a violent community every day. They walk, uh, everything you can have out here, you can have in there. And the ones that choose to walk with God, they have to walk through that, always watching over their back and having to put their trust in the Lord. The fellowship there is a lot what I think of as the book of Acts, because see, you and I, we gotta go to work. We gotta go places and do things right there. For those that walk with the Lord, there's constant fellowship, and they have to have it. They depend on one another. They pray for each other. They can look at somebody's eyes and see whether they've gotten a bad letter that day. Somebody, a wife that wants to leave them or a child that things aren't going right. And they admit nothing even has to be said. They just come alongside and start praying for them. They just have to have that there. And so I, I, I you know, anyway, these are my dear friends. But one time I was at a, a gym and I'm on the treadmill and, and they had Oprah Winfrey on there. This was a while back, and so I'm watching that, and they had a story of putting together prisoners with the people that, or inmates with the people that they have harmed. And this one story came up, and there's something that caught my attention about this inmate. And I thought, there's something twinkle in his eyes, a little something about it. So I watch it, and, uh, and as it unfolds, basically um, what the guy had done is, is he was at a gas station, a lady was there, he was filling up a gas can, asked this lady to take him back to his car, and she was just being kind. She did it, and, and obviously the worst-case scenario thing, everything happened, and then she could see that he was, gonna, he was afraid that she'd tell on him, so then he's at that place, now I've got I've to kill her. And, uh, and so he ended up killing this lady. So the story's going on, and, and I'm watching it because there's something different about this. And, and uh, they bring him together with the daughter of the lady that was killed, and it's been 20 years they're sitting across this table, and they're connecting for the first time. And, uh, and this daughter says, I've wanted one question asked for 20 years. And she said, I want to know, and I've always thought about this, what were my mother's last words? And he looked at her, and he said, well, she was begging for her life and trying to convince me to let her live. And when she realized that wasn't going to happen, she looked right at me, and she said, I forgive you and God will too. I'm going to tell you, I got mad. I'm running, I'm thinking, God, where are you? Obviously this lady was kind, she was merciful, she was gracious, and she was a Christian. Where's your hand that protects us and keeps us from all bad things happening? And as the story unfolds, she, he just says, I couldn't get that out of my head. And, and God, I bowed my knee, obviously in prison. I just cried out to the Lord, and God saved me. And you could see just a change and count. You could just see something about him. And here this daughter and this man who'd never met for they're just hugging. And there's crying and there's healing. And just you could see this picture of redemption. And I, I go to the locker room and I'm still mad. And I'm there by myself. And God, Why? shaking my hand at him. And he says, Andy, all you see is time and space. You just, all you see is the moment. I see so far beyond that. And 20 years 
from that point of tragedy, senseless tragedy right now, I'm expressing the gospel to millions of people that are seeing redemption in my fingerprint. They're having hope. God's, I'm declaring my goodness through what the enemy intended for evil. I just had to humble myself and say, God, I, I don't always understand, but I know that you are good. And I know that your purposes are being served even through the greatest struggles and tragedies of life. And I'm gonna tell you, hope, it's, the scripture says in Romans 8, we are saved by hope. Hope is the expectation of future, confidence in future good. It says that hope is the anchor to the soul. And in me, listen, when you know the sovereignty and wisdom and love of God, that mean you're not going to go through hardships and sorrow and go look around and say, God, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. But it means in the midst of it, I have a hope that all things are working together for good because to those who are called according to his purpose. And when you have that conviction, you can begin to look at everything through the eyes of hope and looking for his redemptive fingerprint. James chapter 3 I'll read this passage and then we'll, we'll start hitting full speed real quick. Uh, it talks about the wisdom from above and the wisdom from beneath. The wisdom from beneath in verse 15, it's natural, it's earthly, it's demonic, it's full of strife, ambition. You know what that word strife in the King James? I don't, I'm not sure which translation everybody reads. I, I, read, I, go, I flip-flop between King James and New American Standard. But uh, it says uh, that word strife, it means it's a, it's a political term meaning to put oneself forward. And he says, wherever there is strife and ambition, there's disorder in every evil thing, no matter how good it looks. And even in our life, when we are seeking our own prominence, it's one, just a sign of insecurity. We don't know that we're loved, you know. But it says that kind of wisdom is not from God. You know, <clears throat> we are very uncomfortable why, let me ask you this, why would we resist the wisdom of God? Most of the time it's because we're uncomfortable with where it will lead us. Because the wisdom of God's always going to lead you to the place of a cross. Because it's at the place of the cross that we find life and hope. The wisdom of this world says, get ahead, be in front, be first. The wisdom of God says, if you want to be first, you need to be last. The wisdom of this world says, in order to be successful, you know, you've got to be the leader and out front. And all of a sudden, Jesus with his disciples, the greater, stooped down, put on the, the, the garment of a servant, had the thing of a servant, and began to wash their feet. And then he said, I'm your master and Lord. You go and do likewise. Because the one that serves is going to lead. And you know what? Even in our families, now guys, I've... <laughs> I've read and heard and you know, seen all the, you know, we're the man and we gotta be the head and everybody needs to follow us and our children need to follow our lead and our wife needs to do what we see, you know, all that stuff. And, and I didn't do it with all the Christianese language right there because we make it all sound real good. You know what, even in our home, if you wanna lead your home, be the servant within your home. I'm gonna tell you how God taught me that because I didn't have any real examples of that in my personal life. I was in our early marriage, and listen, 
God gave me the best wife, and boy, we've made it through those hard, really hard years of trying to live together and walk together. But I grew up on my own, so I had to do my own ironing, my own washing. Anything that had to be done, I did it. My mom one time, and we laugh about this, so I'm not telling on her. She just put everything in the washer. And I remember on the basketball team, I was the only one with pink socks. <laughs> and that's back when they were this high, you know. And so I remember coming to my mom one time. Mom, I'm the only one with pink socks. She said, Andy, if you want them washed differently, do them yourself. So I had to do my own laundry. And in my back of my mind, I thought, one day I'm going to get married. And somebody's going to take care of me. <laughs> and uh, I married the baby of the family. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and it didn't work out that way. <laughs> and, and I remember one time, she's got the... You know, we had our first baby. She's got the baby on her hip, and, and she's, uh, I think, trying to do something, maybe do, I can't remember what it was. She was trying to do something, and, uh, and I think she might have asked me to wash the dishes or something like that, and i am got my Bible. What? I didn't think that's what I was supposed to do. And I remember just as clearly as I'm standing here, that still small voice said, Andy, this is your seminary. This is where I'm teaching you to walk it out. Get up there and wash those dishes. I got up at that sink. <laughs> Listen, it was like that for a couple years. I'm not talking about one time. And you know what? Now I delight to do the dishes. Man, if somebody will feed me, <laughs> I'll wash the dishes. But I, listen, I help with laundry. I do dishes. I do whatever needs to be done. I'm going to tell you this. I know this about my wife. She trusts me. And she'll follow me. I would say anywhere, but she's, I mean, she's got her own, she's got Apache in her. She comes from Apache background, and, you know, she just wants to make sure I've heard God. But uh, she's devoted to me because she knows that I'm a servant to the, I, I want to be more and more a servant to our family. And so, back to Jesus said, if you want to be the leader, the wisdom of God says something totally opposite in the wisdom of this world. It says begin to lay your life down. Begin to serve. One of the things I like about the wisdom of God, and, and I'm going to read it in verse 17, and it says, uh, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then reasonable. Now, if any of you have King James, I like what it says right there better. It says... Um, the wisdom of God is easily entreated. And if you look it up, it means one of the definitions is approachable. Now think about this in regard to our families. As a father, am I approachable to my children? Am I just making demands? The wisdom of God's approachable. As a, as, as a pastor, as, as, as one that teaches, just recently, I was telling uh, Curtis and Jeannie this I've been teaching for years I mean I, since I can't remember over 30 years I've been involved in teaching and sharing and going places and one of the things I've taught for years and I haven't said it like this but usually I, it has to basically the children of Israel walked through the wilderness for 80 years they went 40 years and they they wouldn't go in then God took them another 40 years and somebody else I remember one guy in prison said Andy that's not accurate well, of course it is. They went to the Jordan, then he took them back, and he raised up a new people. No, they were only in the wilderness 40 years. No, 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 they weren't. I, I mean, they weren't. 
And, he, and for about three years, this guy would come up to me in the prison, and he'd say, Andy, I hear you say that, and that's not exactly accurate. And he was always very nice and gracious, but he, you're not right. And one time we're walking through the hallway, and I said, listen, I'm, just t- I'm not trying to be, un- I just don't see it the way you see it. But he said, how about if I write it out for you? If I write out why, why I believe this. I said, okay, write it out for me. And so next time he got it to me, and I take it home, and he was going through the age of Moses and the this and that and this scripture here. Gosh, he looks right. I think he's, I think he's right. And then, and then going back, and I didn't have to do this, but I just, in the midst of before we got started next time, I said, you know what? For years I've been teaching a certain thing, and, and a dear brother just showed me I was wrong. That wasn't right. That was not accurate in regard to the word of God. And... You know, so many times we feel like we've got to have all the answers. But you know, we're, we're walking together, you know, and each one of us have a gift and a purpose and a part and, 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 and there's the, the fivefold, but, but we're one amongst and we need each other. And if I'm not approachable, then I'm not really walking in the clear wisdom of God. Isn't it interesting that he could walk with the prostitutes? And he could walk with the tax gatherers. You ever thought about how comfortable they felt just sitting with him and talking? They didn't change overnight. They had struggles and problems. Just like they, sat, they felt comfortable. And also he could go into the midst of the Pharisees and sit and have dinner with them. Without backing away from truth, he was approachable. People could come to him. They felt like they could come to him. I want you to know God is approachable. He's not waiting for you to get it all figured out first before you can approach him. As a matter of fact, and this leads us perfectly into the love of God. We went to see the, the Son of God together, and uh, and they did the cross and the cross and in, in the in the, the all of that. And 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 do you remember the the Passion of the Christ when that came out? I remember seeing that with my wife, and it, we were quiet when we left there. You know, when they were hitting him with this, you know, I could feel my legs go up, my eyes clench, and. Uh, you know, and I just walked away from that, just quiet-hearted. I laid down in bed, and I got to thinking. I woke up in the morning, was thinking about it. And then the Lord, it was like, for, to me, it was like he said, Andy, there was something that went on far greater than just the blows of the whip and the nails going through and the being put up upon the cross. And I'm convinced in myself that when he was in that Garden of Gethsemane and there was a the great struggle, there was a grace there that was going to walk him through all of that. But you know what? All Jesus ever knew was intimacy with God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him and for him. And then he takes upon himself the form of man, comes into this world and lets us touch him and see him. Rich Mullins has a great uh, uh, line. He gave love a face and a name. You want to know what love is? Examine the life of Christ as it's demonstrated. So he gave love a face and a name. And even when he was in this world, it says he only did that which he heard the Father doing. And only, only said that which he heard the Father speaking. Only did that which he, you know, he had intimacy. But there came a place upon that cross where the full wrath of God was revealed against sin and the scripture says he who knew no sin became sin 
He be, now listen. He became the raping of a child. He became the alcoholic, the drug addict. He became the Pharisee of self-righteousness. And in that place, and I just think, I just, to me, I guess this is what the cross hits for me and why all history revolves around it. When he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He became sin. And it pleased God, it says in Isaiah, to crush him and the turning of his back on his own son. For the first time, the separation, because he became completely identified with sin. We're trying to come into that place of intimacy. We're we're trying to grow into that place of, of, of trusting the love of God. That's all he knew. For this reason, that you and I, by faith, could come through there and enter boldly into the throne of God. And so that God, this completely righteous and completely just judge, could enter into fellowship with us and walk with us in the midst of our humanity. And that leads me to the love of God. And that's impossible to describe. Matter of fact, you can't. You, you, you either are coming into that place of, of um, just awareness. But one of the great illustrations of it to me was when I first started going into prison. And the old prisons, and t- right now, like some of the newer prisons I go into now, they're like a big gym and everything bounces off the walls and stuff. And, and uh, they're hot and, and, or freezing and all this stuff. But the old prisons, it was very important. They built, they built chapels in them. And the Wynn Unit in Huntsville, one of the first prisons, it's kind of the core of the prison system at the time. They've got a sanctuary that you wouldn't believe. It's a cathedral. I mean, it's gigantic. It's, it's you know, wooden pews, and it's about, I'm not good at numbers, you know, seats 1,000 or 800 or something like that. But it's a cathedral, you know, like 80-foot ceiling. I mean, it did like that, and you've got stained glass on the sides, and this, you know, it's, it's a big cathedral. I remember we were doing this three-day seminar there and revival and stuff, and uh, and we got there early this one particular day, and and of course it's I mean it seems like a mile long, you know it's way down there at the front, and we're at the back coming in, and we were just kind of standing in the back, and there was an inmate up there at a piano. He was the only person in the sanctuary, and he was playing the piano. He had his white outfit on. I'll never forget this. fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunge beneath that flow lose all their guilt and stains the dying thief Upon the cross, rejoice to see that day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. 
Wash all my sins away, O Lord. Wash all my sins away. Ere since the day I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supplied, Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die and shall be till I die, O Lord, and shall be till I die. And it just bounced around the building. It just filled the place because you could hear from a man who was wretched who society had sentenced out because of his crimes and there was a revelation of the love of God that God loved him that God cared for him and that he could be redeemed the only passage I want to share is Romans chapter 8 and we'll finish here. Verse 38. Now we know this, but it says, for I am convinced. That word in the King James, I believe it says persuaded. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now think about this. He says, I am convinced or persuaded. That word is basically meaning by strong argument. Do you believe that Paul had to be convinced of God's love by strong argument? Well, of course not. Listen, he wrote three-fourths of the New Bible. It just all came naturally for him. It was just all normal for him. It's us that struggle with No. This was a man in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said, God saved me as a pattern. And he said, the chiefest of sinners. Would we really consider Paul the chiefest of sinners? Philippians, it says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was born a Hebrew. As to the law, as he saw it at that point, he thought he was perfect and right. If he walked into the, to the, to the Jewish temple, he was respected. And he wasn't like, you know, a guy in prison. He walked in, he was respected. But all of a sudden, a light shone. And for the first time on his way to Damascus, he saw himself as he truly was, as a persecutor of Christ. Now think about what he had done in his life. He held the coats while they stoned Stephen. I wonder what Stephen's mother thought about that, or parents. How about other families that he took somebody's mother away from their children because they loved Christ? Couples that got split. People that maybe were struggling in their faith and in shame, he made them renounce Think of the awful things. We don't think about that that Paul did. And here he is in Romans 7, Romans 8. He says, I am convinced. I have been fully persuaded by God that I am loved. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he doesn't back away from it. He said, listen, I want you to know I was a persecutor of the church. Are you trying to hide from your testimony, your story? 
Listen, your story is unique to you, and we all got saved out of darkness. There's not a one of us that didn't need to come to the cross. And the very thing you hide from is actually the very thing that God wants to use as a proclamation to say, grace. And Paul says, I was a persecutor of the church, but you know what? I am what I am by the grace of God. The love of God. Sovereignty of God. Listen, I don't know what's coming in our particular nation. I know I've read history and there were other awful times that went on in the world and very debased times. You read the Roman Empire, <laughs> you know, and we are, we're, we're, we're going through hard times as a nation. I don't know what's coming ahead, but I know this, if you put your trust in grain and gold and ground and uh, whatever the other G's were, you know, you're going to be disappointed. The wisdom of God. He knows what he's doing. You're struggling financially? Trust me. Trust, trust. You're struggling with your children? And trust me. Give them to me. Let go and trust me. His wisdom sees beyond this moment. He knows what he's doing down the road. And you know what he also knows what he's doing? He knows what he's doing in your life. And I'm going to tell you what, my children are instruments of my salvation. They're teaching me how to lay down my life, how to let go. How not to control everything. How to step in. And the last and most important part, and this is, listen guys, I'm not, there's, there's height, death, there's so much further to go. But let me tell you this, I have become convinced for myself and not for you. You have to become convinced for you. I'm convinced in myself of God's love. And I believe this, that nothing can come into my life personally that has not first been filtered through the hands of a God that absolutely loves Andy Brink. And it, now listen, if he loves me, doesn't, listen, doesn't mean I'm not going to go through trials. Doesn't mean I'm not going to cry. Doesn't mean, I like what Joni Erickson Cantata said, it's not wrong to ask God why as long as you don't do it with a clenched fist. I've got whys in my heart, but I know this. I know that God loves me. I've had an experience with him. He's met me in so many places of my life. To describe the love of God says it great right here. If I can find it. You'll know this. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The reason I make that my shortest part of the message 
is because I have no idea how to express and explain the love of God. I just know it's real. When I was in prison, I'll never forget this, I was in a communion service. And what they did, just like here, there was about 300 men, and they would start from the back row, and they would all walk around, they'd get their communion, they'd go back, and then the next row would start. And they'd just keep going until everybody had gotten their communion. And one of the things I love about prison is you're forced, all different cultures come together. There's an old black gospel song, and they all know it. At least in the South, I know. We're waiting now. I'll never forget this communion service. One of the brothers starts off, uh, I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. Save me one day when I was lost. Jesus died upon that cross and I know it was the blood saved me. And then in the back, another black brother, they beat him up the hill and everybody just joined in. And then he'd finish, they crowned his head with thorns. They just kept singing about the blood until everybody got their communion. Silence. I don't need to know anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Pastor. Pastor.